Welcome to the Coronation Merchant Bank podcast series, where we discuss economic, market, growth, and development trends, as well as relevant topical themes. My name is Chinwe Egwim, Chief Economist of Coronation Merchant Bank, and I will steer these conversations. Each episode promises to be interesting, and I am confident you will receive insightful nuggets from our discussions. Now let's get started. Agriculture is critical for promoting growth and reducing poverty. It supports the livelihoods of at least 70% of Nigeria's population and is regarded as the largest employer of labor. In Nigeria, about 80% of total farmers are smallholder farmers, and they account for 90% of Nigeria's agricultural output. Now, agriculture grew by 2.1% year-on-year in 2021, and then grew by 3.2% in the first quarter of this year. The sector contributed about 22% to total gross domestic output in the first quarter of 2022, versus about 27% recorded in the previous quarter, which is the final quarter of um, 2021. It is worth highlighting that over the past eight quarters, agriculture has contributed an average of 25% to total GDP. And that is relatively high. Agriculture is broadly divided into four segments in Nigeria. These segments are crop production, fishing, livestock, and forestry. It is worth mentioning that crop production accounts for as high as 87% of total agriculture GDP, while livestock, fishing, and forestry account for 8.2%, 3.2%, and 1.1% respectively. Now, regarding trade activity, Nigeria remains a net food importer. Despite being one of the highest contributors to the economy, agriculture faces a handful of roadblocks that adversely impact agri-productivity. Some of these roadblocks or challenges are poor access to finance, inadequate storage and transport mechanisms which result in post-harvest losses, And then finally, insufficient utilization of technology. There are so many more, but I will limit the list to just three, the three that I've mentioned. Given the ongoing supply shocks exacerbated by the Russia-Ukraine crisis, upticks in global food prices have been recorded, notably in wheat and maize. The food price inflation remains a core driver for the headline inflation in Nigeria, Food price inflation is currently above 20% in Nigeria. That said, if Nigeria is well-positioned, there are growing opportunities to produce select agriculture and food items for domestic consumption and also for increased export activity on the back of the current global market disruptions. Looking ahead, in addition to existing policies, it is expected that the Africa Continental Free Trade Area Agreement will support Africa's agribusiness, create new regional markets for farmers, strengthen the agro-value chains, and significantly reduce agricultural imports. There is need for public-private partnerships that can potentially transform the sector to ensure that it realizes its potential of agriculture as a business, that it helps create employment opportunities, and also reduces the country's over-dependence on all receipts.
My guest today is Ndidi Wunili. She is an expert on African agriculture and nutrition, philanthropy, and social innovation. She has over 25 years of international development experience, and she is a recognized serial entrepreneur, author, public speaker, and consultant. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. I will go straight into the discussion points. How has the current macroeconomic environment impacted Nigeria's um, agricultural sector performance? Well, this is a really tough time for the Nigerian food ecosystem, and we're being hit from every angle. Um, I would say that there are at least four key outcomes that we're facing that are negative. The first one is just the cost of doing business across the ecosystem has been increased dramatically, linked not only to the inflationary pressures that have raised the cost of inputs, the cost of production, the cost of diesel, um, the cost of transportation across the entire ecosystem from farm to fork, we are seeing tremendous pressure on margins and a lot of actors saying, you know what, it doesn't make sense to actually play in this space. So that's the first thing, it's general. The second is with increased poverty in the land, increased hunger in the land, this has dramatically heightened the insecurity in our country, which affects our farmers because our farmers are now too scared to go to the farm. They're getting kidnapped, their children abducted. Um, there's still a tremendous amount of clashing between our nomadic communities and our traditional farmer communities. Um, and even our truck drivers carrying our produce from Kanu to Lagos are facing serious threats to their lives and their property. Um, and insecurity is a direct outcome of our poor macroeconomic situation. Number three, there's a huge, huge challenge for those who use imports that are generated in other parts of the world with a serious devaluation of the Naira. If you are dependent on imports for packaging or for processing or even machinery, you're really struggling at this time. And we see so many of our uh, players who are struggling uh, because they depend on inputs from abroad. They don't have access to dollars. Um, the exchange rate is too high um, and they can't afford the produce. And they're also facing barriers to export because of the shipping challenges around the world. Um, and this has really, really affected their businesses. And then number four, we have a huge opportunity because of rising um, food prices around the world and many countries closing their borders to be locally self-sufficient, right? To displace imports. And this is a time when you think Nigerian processors should be saying, well, individuals can't afford biscuits from abroad. So I'm going to start making biscuits here. But the cost of doing business, as I mentioned, has risen and the cost of Inputs and the availability of inputs has declined. Um, so we're seeing a lot of supply chain challenges, even from our farmers, and a, a huge um, barrier. And if I could mention a fifth one is really talent. We have a mass exodus of our best and brightest leaving the agriculture sector and leaving Nigeria for greener pastures. So every company that I'm affiliated with and other companies that I work with are struggling to recruit human resources that can add value at this time when they need them the most to ensure that we can feed our people. Uh, so it's a difficult time. Um, and if we don't take urgent action, I really 
feel the Nigerian consumers will continue to suffer. I think we have double digit inflation right now in food. Historically, Nigerians are spending 57% of household income on food, the highest in the world. This is only going to increase. 84% of Nigerians cannot afford a healthy diet. So you can imagine that this is directly affecting the health of Nigerians because food is medicine. It's also affecting brain development because child nutrition for the first two years of your life is so critical to brain development and for children to live full and meaningful lives. So the impact of this is not just going to be seen today, it's going to be seen for generations to come. So we need urgent, cohesive action to stem the challenges that our food ecosystem is facing. Hmm. Thank you so much for that response. Um, I, I think the next question I'm going to ask is really, if you can please share three policy recommendations that can shield Nigeria from uh, food supply shocks, given the impact that has on the food inflation rate. So there are many, many, many policy recommendations. And if I had to only pick three, the first is that I would strongly recommend, and I've been preaching this for years, is a local food bill, which prioritizes sourcing locally for food items. And I'll explain what this means. In many parts of the world, and I'll use Brazil as an example, the government actually instituted a 30% requirement for local food sourcing, especially for institutional buyers. And they saw a dramatic change in what was going on in the ecosystem. In fact, for school feeding programs, for you know, institutional buying for prisons, for any state-based intervention, they insisted that at least 30% of the inputs had to come from local sources and it transformed the ecosystem. We have to do the same thing in Nigeria. So when we say local sources, it means that school feeding programs across our country should be sourced from farmers in those communities, right? As opposed to saying we're importing rice from Thailand and we're going to use rice to feed children in Jigawa State, or we're importing wheat and creating instant noodles. And these instant noodles, which are very unhealthy, are going to be used to feed children in Medugri. When there are farmers in Medugri that grow produce, and we need to support them and give them all the assistance to ensure that they have the right market linkages for their products. So if you really make buying local and incentivize local providers to meet the needs of any public procurement interventions or any procurement interventions in general, you change the ecosystem. So that's the first uh, policy recommendation. The second is that as a country, we have to prioritize our value chain interventions and really pick a competitive and comparative advantage and protect those industries. As the chair of the Policy Commission on Agricultural Rural Development, when we're developing Nigeria 2025, Nigeria 2030 vision, we identified six priority value chains that need to be protected and supported. And this is a policy recommendation because you can't do everything as a country, but you can pick the most important value chains. So it's cassava, it's yam, it's rice, tomatoes, soya bean, maize, poultry, and dairy. And if we have any interventions around those, protect them, meaning you actually prioritize local production, right? It means that you create hurdles for others to come in and compete in these industries. It means that you ensure that there's financing and support for players in these industries. 
So it's a comprehensive policy around priority value chains. Countries like Vietnam picked priority value chains and focused on them. We are naturally competitive when it comes to cassava. We can compete in rice. We can compete in maize and soya. Those are critical. We can do everything, but those ones are critical. And so I would say we have to prioritize and elevate and ensure food self-sufficiency in these value chains. Um, and that's a multi-pronged policy recommendation. And then the third policy recommendation I would suggest is really a focus on gender equity in the agriculture and food landscape. Right now, there's a huge gender gap in our food and agriculture landscape. Uh, when it comes to extension workers, female extension workers, almost non-existence. Financing for women, a huge challenge. Only 10% of the land in Nigeria is owned by women. If we don't close these gender gaps with cohesive policy interventions that actually create equity around land acquisition, around financing for women, we're not going to see the gains that we expect in the agriculture and food landscape. And for me, this is really, really critical. I agree completely with you. Now, Nigeria's agricultural value chain is characterized by 80% of smallholder farmers and a few commercial processors. This composition means that a huge chunk of output is within the informal sector, therefore very difficult to record for national output purposes. In what ways can this sector become fully formalized? So we will always have smallholder farmers in Nigeria, but we have to transition more of our smallholder farmers from smallholder farmers to workers in medium scale farms and large scale farms. Because there's a power of economies of scale when you work in food and agriculture. And it's very, very difficult to achieve those economies of scale when you have one to two hectares. And in that space, you even have trees and cows and chickens. Um, so you can't even bring a tractor, right, to work to, to till the land. And you can't use a harvester. Um, so there's some, some need for us to really say who has gone into agriculture because of necessity, because of culture, because that's the only thing they know, and who really wants to run it as a business. And how can we transition those who want to run it as a business to scale from micro to small, small to medium, and then large. And then how can we ensure that the medium, the, the, those who don't want to scale and don't want to be entrepreneurs can become employees in larger farms? Um, so that's the first intervention required because I think a lot of people have fallen into agriculture as a subsistence option because they had no other option. For those who are interested in being workers, the great thing is that there's so many outgrower programs emerging where a large farm or even a medium farm can create on its own land plots, plots that farmers or workers can utilize. And then these farmers or workers can be supplied with fertilizer and seeds and other inputs to grow, and they already have an off-taker agreement, which makes it seamless and increases um, their productivity and enables them to have economies of scale. And that's the type of transition we've seen in many other countries that have gone from pure, pure agrarian societies to a very vibrant, productive, and profitable agriculture sector. And that's the transition we need to make in our ecosystem as well. Okay. Um, now, agriculture 
can help with export diversification. And um, based on information in the public domain, the, the decline in food exports from Nigeria is um, largely due to non-compliance with regulatory and documentation requirements um, for food imports to places such as the European U- Union and the United Kingdom. What are your thoughts around food export rejections and um, how can this trend be reversed? So I have been working on this through my initiative, Changing Narratives Africa, to increase food exports from Africa to the rest of the world. And there are a number of things we have to do differently. Number one, we obviously have to internally increase our standards of excellence and quality to meet global standards. We need to train our entrepreneurs uh, to actually ensure that they not only um, are delivering excellent produce, but they're packaging it well um, so they can command the premium prices. Because what we've seen in our ecosystem is that a lot of our, our exports are still primary produce. Um, so we export raw cashews instead of exporting packaged roasted cashews, right? We export beans, unprocessed beans. When we could be exporting, you know, different products, canned moi moi, uh, bean puree, frozen beans, whatever it is, we could be exporting processed products, which then ensures that we've sterilized them, we've met the global standards, and we can command a premium. Um, so I would really like to see that shift as well in terms of value addition in our country before we export. So there's a supply piece that we have to sort out. And we also have to increase the predictability, the supply chain, the consistency, etc. But there's a huge demand problem, Chimwe. When you go abroad, people don't know how much they consume from the continent or from Nigeria in particular. They don't know that sesame or cashew or cocoa is grown in Nigeria. Um, their sense is that we're a net importer of food and we're starving, right? And so we have to do a good job in changing mindsets about the great food from our part of the world, um, telling positive stories, building linkages and bridges between our entrepreneurs and global buyers, and also holding those host countries responsible and accountable to support our entrepreneurs, to raise the bar, to invest in our entrepreneurs so that there's no bias. Um, they've done this in many other parts of the world. There are lots of support programs for Indian uh, exports, for Israeli exports, for different Asian exports. We need to push for the same. Um, and clearly, we need our own industry associations and trade associations to advocate for support and engagement of Nigerian produce around the world. And this is quite urgent and important because at a time when our country desperately needs foreign exchange, um, and when our currency is so devalued, export income can really turn the corner. And I think we need to push for a cohesive action to address both the supply and demand challenges. Hmm. That mindset shift that you mentioned is um, very critical. And I hope that we are able to achieve this in the near term as opposed to the long term. Um, now, processing of agricultural products is vital for the reduction of post-harvest losses. Um, in Nigeria, this is estimated at between 35 to 50% for fruits and then 15 to 25% for grains. Are there any innovative ways to boost storage and processing in an attempt to reduce 
uh, post-harvest losses? And in what ways can the private sector pro- provide some kind of support? There are lots of innovation to address this challenge. Uh, everything from you know shifting our use of baskets to crates for our fruits and vegetables. Um, we still use baskets. I'm sure you've seen these raffia baskets. We've been using the same raffia baskets for 60 years. When you use a basket, everything in the middle rots because of the heat and the pressure, right? Even how we load our yams causes 30% of them to get brown and injured and bruised because of the heat and the friction from the truck. So moving from our traditional approaches to crates and returnable crates is not only environmentally friendly, but it also makes economic sense and addresses this post-harvest loss. So that's at the farm gate, training our farmers and giving them the right tools to store their produce so they can get the best prices, right? But logistics is huge. You know, we lose so much along the way because it's so uh, roads are so poor and so so um, in such terrible uh, conditions. And it's imperative that we create, you know, not only uh, packing centers, which you have in many countries around the world, including South Africa, uh, cold rooms, uh, shared warehouses across the country to break down the trip, to reduce the spoilage, and to ensure redistribution. And then processing, we need a huge boom in our processing industry. You know, so many factories have been turned into churches, right? Because people say they can't sustain the cost of diesel, um, of labor, of uh, the tax, multiple taxation. And so we need to support primary uh, processors, but we also need to support sophisticated processes. And this is where we need innovation. We need R&D support. I came up with this idea during the uh, UN Food System Summit around a virtual innovation hub for food processors across Africa, where they could benefit from R&D experts and QC experts to generate new healthy, nutritious, convenient products. We all love to be able to eat something that's convenient, affordable, and nutritious. But yet in our market, we don't have any innovation. Everybody copies each other. We've been eating the same plantain chips for the last 50 years. No one has thought about other uses of plantain, other uses of everything. And, and you know, today we're joking, Chen, when we were eating roasted corn, it's corn season, right? And mm-hmm. we're so excited to be able to get roasted corn on the road and ube in a few months, there'll be no roasted corn. Oh, really? And yet, no, there won't be any roasted corn on the street because it's out of season, right? Oh, Instead okay. of, and then what will you be doing? You're buying canned corn from mm-hmm. Malaysia and Thailand, right? Sweet corn, you're buying from other parts of the world. Um, the same with mangoes. Why mm. can't we have dried mangoes and frozen mangoes? and canned mangoes, the same way you have canned peaches. So for everything we have, where there's such a high rate of waste, and we lose 40 to 60% of our fruits and vegetables, right? Mm-hmm. So it's because we haven't innovated in terms of how we preserve. Uh, it's expensive to hire R&D. We don't have the expertise in country. So how can we partner with our research institutions? And how can the government also provide subsidies and support and technical support for processors who want to innovate? We want to create nutritious, healthy, and affordable products for the masses of people so that we have food all year round. Um, and for me, this is a huge challenge and a huge problem. Um, and so we really have to work collaboratively across the ecosystem, value chain by value chain, to ensure that we address this processing challenge. Because it doesn't matter how much 
our farmers grow. If we don't know how to process, there'll be increased waste. So improving the productivity of our, our farmers doesn't help anybody unless you have a processing industry ready to absorb the produce from the farmers and ready to produce food all year round for Nigerians. Hmm. Wow, I didn't realize that we have been using the um, raffia baskets for that long, 60 years. Hmm. And updates is, is required and, and very quickly. Hmm. So since since 2020, which um, we refer to as the peak of the coronavirus pandemic, we have seen restaurants and quick service meal operators revise prices in their menus due to uh, inflationary pressures visible in food items across markets. And this is despite the current squeeze in consumers' wallets. Do you think that the concept of farm-to-table can be widely accepted in Nigeria? And could this assist with slowing price hikes seen across menus in restaurants or, or food items across households? Well, the first thing is that this is not unique to Nigeria. All over the world, we've seen huge pressure on restaurants, not only just to recoup the amount of money they might have lost during COVID, but because the entire value chain is affected, right? The shipping challenges, the global shipping challenges, the, you know, the, the shortages of food on the shelves, etc., has created this. Now, farm to, to fork or even farm to body is very nice in, on paper, but I have to tell you that it's even more expensive <laughs> for the chefs I know globally who do this because it actually involves the chefs, many of them actually now growing produce, mm. right, themselves and saying they're prioritizing healthy produce, right? Mm. And it's great that they're prioritizing healthy produce, but then they make customers pay a premium for that. Um, so what we have to do is instead remove the obstacles in value chains, right? Because for every value chain, there are huge obstacles. What do I mean by obstacles? So if a, a chef in Lagos maybe wants to use fresh coriander or fresh okra for their, you know, seafood okra soup or even fresh shrimps, right? So they have to have a direct connection to the farmer who grows the okra so that they don't have to pay five people through the value chain. Do you understand? And that's what happens in our inefficient value chains. Mm. You have so many people involved. Once I looked at, the, I did a value chain study of tomatoes from Kanu to Lagos, okay? Mm-hmm. At the time, a basket of tomatoes in Kanu was 300 naira. Of course, it's not 300 naira today, but I assume it was 300 naira. By the time it gets to Lagos, that same basket, is on a good day, right? 3,000 Naira. Oh, wow. (laughs) On a bad day, that basket could be 30,000 Naira. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And who is is in between the farmer and your kitchen? Mm -hmm. You know, the the farmer brings it to their local market. Somebody comes and buys in their local market, takes it to the bigger market. From the bigger market, it's actually loaded onto a truck. Somebody actually pays for that loader so that loader gets money then the truck driver gets money right and the assumption is that when it now gets to a central point maybe Nibado it's reloaded and reallocated and then it gets to mile 12. Somebody downloads it from the truck you pay them and then another person on a wheelbarrow carries it to Mama Ekene and Mama Ekene sells it to you right how many people have moved this okra 
It's different from saying I have a farm network or a greenhouse network. My restaurant is in Ikoyi. I have a direct link to that farmer in Ikoyi. You understand? I place my order. The farmer in Ikoyi brings me my order. Um, we we have so many cities in our that don't have enough space for this farm to to market um, experience or farm to fork experience, and that's why we need um, innovative farming. You know, rooftop farms, greenhouses. Uh, aeroponics, all the new technology that allows you to grow vegetables at, in bulk, right, at, the, at your backyard. Um, we're seeing this in China, in Beijing. We're seeing this in the Netherlands. We're seeing restaurants actually have little farms right outside their restaurant door. Um, and that is removing the bottlenecks and uh, reducing the number of stops and stops and sparks along the chain. And that's what we need to do if we're really going to see an efficient ecosystem. Hmm. That is so interesting. I guess the infrastructure deficit that Nigeria is suffering from also needs to be uh, properly addressed to enable um, better efficiency with this. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, the current administration has implemented a number of schemes notably the Anchor Borrowers Program to create economic linkages between uh, smallholder farmers and reputable um, companies that are referred to as anchors involved in producing and processing key agricultural commodities. Now, I believe that as of May this year, the collective disbursement under this program stood at 1 trillion naira, and this um, was disbursed to over 4.2 million small holder farmers, cultivating at least 21 commodities across the country. What role has this program played in improving um, agriculture? And is it really sufficient? Well, I would suggest that you actually pose that question to the central bank. Because we did a study on this program, and um, the results were very mixed. But we then... um, asked uh, the central bank to comment, and they said that they hadn't finished their own comprehensive study. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would prefer not to get into this one also. Okay, understood. Okay, so let me just shift to the next one. What are your thoughts around using technology to expand the sector? You touched upon it in one of your responses. But um, can technology assist with making agriculture more profitable in the long term? We cannot grow as a sector without technology. I've written a book called Food Entrepreneurs in Africa, Scaling Resilient Agricultural Businesses, which was published last year. And I talk about the critical prerequisites for scaling in this sector. And innovation, data, and technology were one of the six critical pieces of the puzzle. And when I say technology, it's not just around, you know, using cell phones or sensors or hydroponics or aeroponics, but it's also improved seeds, improved crop protection products, improved farming methodology that leverages data, you know, climate resilience approaches that supports farmers and address the challenges around droughts and floods, all the way to technology and equipment that allows for steam sterilization of our food, uh, ensures that we retain the nutrients, um, allows for solar drying, 
at the farm gate. You know, there's so many great innovations and there's so much uh, data being generated when you track and use technology to track movement of products. Um, we're seeing people do, you know, coding of their products and, and using, you know, chips to actually follow cows around and generating all this data that allows you to address some of the bottlenecks we talked around about around the market linkages, around the cost, around the delays. Um, so there's so much we could be doing and so much we should be doing. It was a day of whole and cutlass agriculture in Nigeria and woven baskets is over. You know, the rest of the world is leaving us behind. Um, and the good news is that there are pockets of innovation and technology in our country. Through my work at Sahel Consulting, we're doing a lot in using technology for the cassava industry through BASICS. We're part of this big cassava project that IIT is driving called BASICS. We're part of another project around dairy, which we lead called Advancing Local Dairy Development in Nigeria that uses technology for artificial insemination, solar power goals. We have empowered all our extension officers with tablets. They give us data on a daily basis about how much milk is collected. So we're seeing this real firsthand and it's making such a difference. It's improving the efficiency and effectiveness of the sector and empowering our farmers. So I'm a huge proponent of leveraging innovation, data, and technology to scale, and we need it now, and we need it urgently. And this requires a couple of things. Number one, it requires that we reduce the cost of data. It's still very expensive for people to access data, especially in rural communities. There's still very poor cell phone access. This is a hindrance because it means that our, our extension workers and staff have to wait to get back to the huge city to be able to upload all the data. It also makes it difficult to reach farmers exactly when they need your help. So we need to address that huge challenge. We also need mobile money to be made more efficient in our country. Um, Shiwa, you would believe that we've been trying to get our farmers, you know, VVN numbers. We've been trying to get them yeah. banked and it's so difficult. Mm. And most of the banks are saying, oh, they're not profitable. It's not, it doesn't make sense for us to come to this village. Mm -hmm. And here you have a farmer who has a hundred cows. Okay. They're not, they're not poor and they're supplying milk every day to a processor. So they have guaranteed income every day. What mm. does it take for you to make, to, to serve them? Do you understand? Yeah. And we have had a huge barrier. Um, in our formal financial institutions, not recognizing our farmers as as profitable and attractive customers. And I think that's a very short-sighted approach to financial services. Um, we need that for that innovation as well. We need a lot of ecosystem players, especially the private sector, working together with civil society and the public sector to ensure that we can scale up innovation and scale up service provision to our farmers. Hmm. I like that you mentioned data while responding to that question because it feeds nicely into my next question, which is that globally, farmers and um, food producers have access to comprehensive and local data regarding every phase of um, their production cycles. So from water usage, um, fertilizer and pesticide needs, crop yields, distribution management, um, equipment optimization, among others. What are your thoughts around the interlinkage between data collection and food insecurity in Nigeria? It's a huge, huge problem. I believe right now that there's a lot of hoarding 
um, a lot of price speculation and bad behavior, not only by uh, producers, our importers, our traders, right? And who's suffering the Nigerian consumer? But if we had data, right, we would be able to un reveal some of this bad behavior, right? So I'm giving an example. Has, have fertilizer prices doubled everywhere in the world? Absolutely not. Have sugar prices doubled everywhere in the world? No. Why have they doubled in Nigeria? Who's asking those questions? Yeah, it's gonna buy 20 to 30%, but not doubling. So this is where data comes in, right? Countries like um, uh, Canada can say, we have enough wheat stored up for the next five years for our citizens. We have that data. We have enough maize stored up for our citizens. Or, you know, this is what we have in our reserves. And the average consumer will trust it. That reduces panic buying. It reduces hoarding. And we are able to tell where there are shortages and where they're not, where there are gaps and where they're not, and where we can fill them. And we saw this during COVID. I was part of so many committees trying to feed hungry Nigerians. And the question was, where are the hungry Nigerians? Where is the abundance food? How can we get it from one place to the other? And we didn't know. We didn't have that information. Um, and that allows speculators to thrive. Where there is, you know, darkness, wickedness thrives. And right now, we have so much darkness when it comes to food data in Nigeria. We have so much darkness when it comes to where, you know, where do we have abundance? Where do we have shortages? And I know companies like Apex are doing their best to try to show what's going on, but they see a slice of Nigeria, right? We need a more comprehensive approach. We need open data platforms. We need data sharing. Um, and we need a stronger Bureau of Statistics. Because I have to tell you that many of us in the ag sector have to go on websites such as nourishingafrica.com, which I created to get data on the country. But other people go to FAO. So they're going to a, a FAO, a UN-based agency in Rome to get data about what's happening in Nigeria. Um, and usually FAO's data is stale because they don't have real-time data. So I really believe it's critical that all stakeholders work together to share, to collect and share credible, authentic data on our food ecosystem to help each us as a country move, plan, address the key barriers and work together collaboratively to fill the gaps. Thank you so much for that response. Now, um, we are in a pre-election year. Can you share three recommendations geared towards improving agricultural GDP and agric-related exports that could guide the next administration? The good news is that we have a whole document <laughs> that came out of the <laughs> Vision 2030 exercise, which I would love to share with the next administration. It has actually 10 agenda items with very explicit recommendations for the federal and state level. But if I was going to pull three out, the first one, I would say, is insecurity. We need a comprehensive and swift plan to address the insecurity in our country, especially in farming communities, because we need primary production at the farm gates to happen. And with less farm primary production, it affects all of us. Um, and we have not seen a comprehensive approach from previous administrations, and it's only getting worse. So that's number one on my agenda. Number two, 
we need to focus on priority value chains and ensuring food self-sufficiency in those value chains. I had mentioned that before, cassava, rice, maize, soya. And why maize and soya? Because they are inputs for feed in poultry. You can't have a triple tripling of prices in eggs. A crate of eggs in Lagos is now 2,500 naira. It went from 700 naira to 2,500. Mm-hmm. What has changed? The cost of maize and soya is also affecting fish feed. So I'm not even prioritizing those sectors, but I'm prioritizing the input into those sectors, right? And I've also talked about um, tomatoes because that's so important for us as a country. Just a priority value chain and then ensuring that we have an enabling environment for these value chains. Financing for the actors across the value chain. Technology transfer and private sector solutions of technology transfer that will ensure that our our farmers have the latest technology, but then we need not only logistics, post-harvest management, but processing in these value chains so that we reduce post-harvest losses. So it's a comprehensive approach. And number three really is around the need for what I'll call value chain support from Mm -hmm. farm to fork. And here we've talked about logistics, feeder roads, you know, irrigation support, um, climate resist resilient support because we have uh, some I just saw that Jigawa was underwater again right mm-hmm. how many years will we have continued flooding and continued droughts without any climate action mm-hmm. there has to be a comprehensive climate action it's really really important and then couple that with a nutrition agenda for our country so I think my dear the list is so long but if I had to three, <laughs> this would be the three well, thank you so much for accepting our invitation to share from your extensive bank of knowledge. I completely enjoyed our conversation. I have been jotting down. So my notepad is completely packed. I'm grateful. Thank you for the opportunity. Wishing you all the best. Thank you for listening. Be sure to look out for the next episode. In the meantime, reflect on the insightful nuggets you received. You can listen by visiting www.coronationmb.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Spreaker, and Player FM. Mm-hmm.